I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we kick it off with the weekend review, what movies and TV shows we've been watching since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is a topic of discussion or a main review, and then finish up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. It's an all-Scarlet episode, as after a brief weekend review, we review Black Widow, the latest MCU offering. And then, related to that, we count down our 12 favorite Scarlett Johansson movies. So, this will be interesting. A nice little discussion and love for Scarlett. Let's start it off, though, first, before we get into that, Jana. We have a, a couple things to discuss. I don't have a lot to discuss for the week in review. I've just been going through my normal Disney movies for the most part. I finished the uh, 90s animated Disney movies. You can see that article on the Gibson Review, my review and ranking of those movies. I will be starting the live action movies of the 90s, of which there are a lot. So that's going to take me some time to get through. But you watched a couple shows, or they both are HBO shows that you watched? Yes, I was having a rip-roaring good time with HBO. All right, well, yeah. why don't you share with us what you watched and what your thoughts are on those things. So I watched Mayor of Easton, and that was good, uh, or rather East Town. And that was rather great. I love the cost. We have a bunch of different players in this one. We have, of course, the main actress Kate Winslet we have Evan Peters which I am just such a huge fan of Guy Pierce, Gene Smart, Andrew Rice, Julia Nicholson and uh, another favorite of mine Sosie Bacon I love seeing her who's, Any... who's Sosie Bacon what's she oh, done well she's been in The Closer she's also oh. Kira Sedgwick and Kevin Bacon's daughter oh and I I'm pretty fond of seeing her she's got a really unique face mm. and facial expressions therefore hmm. so i i like seeing her okay cool yeah. cool i don't i don't see her enough this was uh, the ending was really good it took me a while to figure out you know what had happened i guess i should backtrack there's a murder that happens and we're spending the seat the the show trying to figure out who did it so i was trying to figure it out and i think i figured it out in the second last episode so that was pretty cool it's a very morose show, as you would put it. Mare <laughs> is ignoring how she needs to heal from a trauma, and we watch her family around her try to process the trauma as well and move on with life while she obsesses, you know, she's a detective, so she's obsessing case after case instead of trying to acknowledge what happened and heal from it. It. It's a good whodunit. It leaves you guessing a few times. There are many bad things that are happening in this show. It's not just about this murder that happened. And it's the murder's kind of hinted at. And uh, everything seems to weave together pretty tightly in the show. Okay. So that is Mayor of Easton on HBO. So uh, uh, highly flawless show that you highly recommend i highly recommend that one all right here's what i don't recommend oh really 
I do not recommend The Undoing with HBO. It stars Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, which is why I went into it. It's also got Noah Jupe from Quiet Place, The nice. Sun. Okay. And, you know, a couple other people like Donald Sutherland, oh. uh, Lily Robbie, which I love seeing, and Noma Dumazwini. Uh, and what else can I say about this show? Well... What is this show about? <laughs> oh, it's just a fuck up. So, oh. really, it's a mystery psychological thriller, and it's just like six episodes. It's based on a novel, You Should Have Known, by Jean Hanf Korlitz. And <clears throat> basically, it's, you know, I watched Mayor of Easton, and then I went straight into The Undoing, and it felt similar in some ways, and then it felt completely lacking in a lot of ways mm. because i th it also reminded me of what is that show with the flight attendant the flight attendant right is it the flight attendant <laughs> okay cool with katie it, kaylee Cuoco, yeah. Right? yeah so it kind of reminded me of that and it but it, it just nothing stuck but you like the flight attendant I quite do. a bit right i do but like what the undoing was doing <laughs> was a lot of undoing. Mm. So I love the cast. I like who did it, you, you know, who done it shows. Mm -hmm. But the first episode is jarringly loud. It doesn't stop. It has this weird, like, he has, I guess they're in New York. He has this crazy loud New York City life sounds mm -hmm. as you're walking to school and doing this and the next thing. And then when that's not happening, it's like this loud classical music. And I'm like, I'm a fan of no words in music, but that mm. was just so much. It ended up being boring. I like watching Nicole Kidman and the other actors and actresses I spoke about, but the story was boring and privileged and bullshit of the elite. So I'm, I'm kind of tired of watching that. Mm. What I liked about East Town was it was real people mm -hmm. having real problems in in a shitty situation mm. you know so there was a lot of groundedness to it but the undoing it was just a silly little fantasy I, i'm sure stuff like this happens you know it's coming from somewhere but it, it just wasn't worth my time I heard very mixed things about that movie before, or that show before, and it sounds like those mixed things are, are valid uh, based on your description of the show. So not a recommendation for The Undoing from you. Nope. Go watch Mayor of Easttown. Okay. All right. Very cool. And is that everything for your Week in Review? That's everything for me. Why don't we talk about what we did together? All right. So as I understand it, we have one thing to talk about. It's the, probably one of the biggest things that has dropped. It is Loki on Disney+. Plus. I don't think we talked about the first couple episodes in our last episode, but this was a six-episode limited series. Well, apparently not so limited, as it turned out once the final episode dropped, they decided, hey, let's do it again. But essentially, uh, according to IMDb, Loki steps out of his brother's shadow to embark on an adventure that takes place after the events of Avengers Endgame. That's not a very good description, actually. It, so in Endgame... There's a scene that takes place during 2012's Avengers where Loki gets a hold of the Tesseract and he disappears. 
So this show essentially follows what happened there. And, well, I will say it's a lot more than I expected, that's for sure. Shanna, why don't you share your thoughts on Loki, the good, the bad, and uh, what have you. This was a great show about villains ping-ponging with their emotions and need to be a villain or need to do good and the backlash that can come if you're an established bad guy and are trying to be a good guy. So I enjoyed that. And it was, you know, they made it relatable. That's what I want to see. I don't want it to be this pie-in-the-sky story. Okay. Uh, Granted, they're working with time. Mm -hmm. It's a time organization. and pretty fantastical story. Very, okay, you know what? The human elements are there. Okay, Okay. all right. The set designs, the cinematography, the, the score... Uh, the performances, the characters, what they decide to do with each story in each episode is really fun. The casting is brilliant. I just absolutely love that Owen Wilson is in it. You couldn't have gotten a better actor, <laughs> a better energetic presence mm. to come up against Loki and try to soften him up a little bit mm. because Loki isn't the Loki we've come to know because mm. it's we're, we're going back in time and that's the Loki we're dealing with. We're not dealing with Loki that's grown. And so there's this interesting hmm. accelerated growth opportunity that can happen or will it not happen because of who he is. Hmm. So it's very interesting in that way. There are a lot of questions that occur hmm. at the end of this show and it's, it's very mind-boggling and I hope we don't spend too much time trying to unwrap that today. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's... Okay, so... Look, this show is far more than I expected it to be. I thought what this show is going to be is Loki bebopping around time and basically causing chaos and trying to, you know, find his way to get the upper hand in, in various situations through time or whatever. Maybe quantum leap it you know, uh, short of without the body inhabiting aspect of that show. And I was not excited about, uh, about Loki of all the shows that the limited shows that were announced with WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, and this one, Loki was the one I could care less about for reasons I'll get into in a minute, but oh, good. <clears throat> I'm so excited to hear yeah, that. Yeah. You, it's like, you haven't heard it before. Oh, my um, word. This series is very intelligently written. It, it's very it, it goes in a completely different direction than I expected. It starts opening up the world, leaps and bounds. You know, WandaVision opened up the world a little bit, and Falcon and Winter Soldier introduced a couple things here and there. But this thing like kicks the door down in what we are going to be faced with in the oncoming phases. Uh, you mentioned the Time Variance Authority, essentially the timekeepers and things like that. That's a huge, fascinating concept, and that's introduced in the first episode or two. There's so many possibilities with it. We get other things introduced, I think starting with episode two or three, with, <clears throat> I'll just say, uh, other Lokis. And what they mean and what they suggest and what what happens with them. 
uh, fascinating, fun stuff at times. And where it all leads. Like, should we talk about anything specifically? We don't have to talk about the last episode, but should we talk about anything specifically and just give a spoiler warning for anybody who's behind on the MCU? I don't think that's a good idea because people could just be starting to get into it now. And mm. I just, I don't think that we should say that even one of our friends is starting to get into it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we don't, we don't have to, I guess. And it'll help for time, I suppose. But here's the thing. I like the show. It's, I think anybody who's looking for something different in the MCU is going to love this series. My problem with it is we know that in Infinity War, spoilers for a three-year-old movie if you haven't seen it yet, but in uh, Avengers Infinity War, Loki dies definitively. He is killed by Thanos in front of Thor's eyes. That is Loki's fate. Done. Zip. Out of the picture. Right? No more. We're moving on. And that had a lot of weight to it. It added a lot of stakes to things. It mattered. I don't know what's going to happen now. Because we don't know that that's not necessarily going to happen. We don't know that it is necessarily going to happen. But I also know that Tom Hiddleston's saying, Hey, I'll play Loki forever. And... My problem is uh, they are partially, one, they are mystiquing Loki. And what I mean by that is when you go back to 2000's X-Men, Mystique is how she is in the comics, more or less. She's a villain. She's not someone to be trusted. If you go to 2011's X-Men First Class, Mystique is started to turn into... Oh, this childhood friend of Professor X. And, oh, she there's good in her. And she could be part of the team and all this sort of stuff. And she becomes by, uh, a, what is it, Apocalypse? Is it Apocalypse or Black Phoenix? She's, she is an X-Man, right? She's not a villain. And they're starting to do that same thing with Loki, where he is one of the biggest bads of the MCU, of, of the Marvel Comics, He's the villain you love to hate. And now they've turned him into an anti-hero. And who knows how long he's going to stick around because, gosh darn it, people love him. And there's more interesting things that they're introducing, more interesting possibilities, more interesting characters. I'm like, let's move on. Let's not stay stuck in 2012, you know, or even 2018 for that matter. Move on from Loki that said, I did really love the show. I thought the show was brilliant. All righty then. <laughs> what? You're like rolling so, your eyes. I'm so done hearing about your... your I, I know what... You, we should have an episode where we talk about like our principles <laughs> with like what not to go back on in a movie, like what, what should be untouched and, mm-hmm. and not reversed in this case. Mm. So... One day we will have that episode. This is not the time. <laughs> what is our next agenda? Whoa, hold on. No, 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 no. So no, no. you clearly disagree. We don't have to get into <clears> it, <throat> but you know, you, you you don't really agree with uh, this point. I hear what you're saying. I am a big fan. I have been watching the Batman show. Batman animated Batman series. Batman animated from the early series. 90s. And what I love about that show is it's showing each villain how they were human 
Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you turn someone to a villain, they're this 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 despicable, unforgiving, un sympathetic, like not human anymore. Hmm. Like, but my grandmother got cheated on, and my grandfather became uh, this pure villain. Never knew anything else about him. Only saw him as a bad guy. Uh-huh. So for me, I'm bringing like personal shit to the table. But also like how Batman does it is this is a person. Something happened. How do we fix this thing? Mm. And with the Loki TV show, he does admit things that he's supposed to recognize within himself and heal from in order to move on to the next phase of life. Mm. So I am a fan of journeys, you know. Mm. I'm fine with it. Mm. Do I want him to become an Avenger? No. Should he become his own Suicide Squad equivalent? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Mm. So, that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, I just can't see Thor coming face-to-face with this version of Loki that they have turned into because Loki is finally turning into the thing that Thor has always wanted. So, I don't know. Anyway, we've talked a lot about this off mic. We haven't really talked about it on mic. So uh, what are your thoughts on, on this, this dilemma with Loki, the character itself? Let us know. But that is all for our Week in Review. And now it's time to move on to the main event. <laughs> Shanna's showing me the clock. It is time. Oh it is time, Jeff. <laughs> time is ticking. All right, let's move on to the main event, which is our review of Black Widow. I used to have nothing. what we are what brings you home we have unfinished business we have to go back to where it all started lucky us one thing's for sure it's gonna be a hell of a reunion Still fits. Family. Back together again. You got fat. from the trailer to Black Widow, the latest entry in the MCU. Uh, 
this basically a movie that takes place between Civil War and Infinity War. It's between two wars. How about that? Follows Black Widow as she gets roped into events dealing with her past and reckoning with the people of her past and potentially uh, holding certain people responsible. So, Shanna, this movie was supposed to release May of last year. Okay, it's releasing a year later. It was supposed to be the thing that followed Spider-Man far from home, starting off this new phase, and then we were supposed to get WandaVision, and then Falcon and Winter Soldier, and then Loki, and then Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, no, uh, maybe the Internals first. At any rate, it's hard to keep track. Pandemic really messed things up is the point. But here we are getting Black Widow at this point in the phase. My question to you is, what was good about Black Widow? And was it an essential entry in the MCU that justified itself and fit perfectly in the overall picture? Yes, I think it was definitely necessary. We've A lot of people have wanted a Black Widow film for a long time. She's a character that is on the bedsheets of Avenger bedsheets and, and merchandise. She's not on my bedsheets. Most sheets. of the time, which is why I said most of the time. <laughs> and she deserve, she's one of the starting Avengers, at least in the cinematic universe, and she deserves to have her own thing. Okay, hmm. so I, I'm not interested in anyone that's like she doesn't need her own film. I, you know what? You obviously have a penis and balls, so Whoa. I'm not really interested <laughs> in what you have to say. All right, um, I guess this will just be the Shanna show. <laughs> She'll just take over the whole review here, because fuck me, right? <laughs> Are you? S We're not going to talk about your feelings right now. <laughs> okay. I think it worked out perfectly with where it was situated. It didn't seem to mess anything up. It's its own kind of story telling about the injustices and controlling of women as soldiers. We constantly hear about Captain America and all the men that were these super sh shoulders. I bet they do have super shoulders because they, they do things with their shoulders I can't even dream of doing. Anyway, and we constantly hear about the male superhero, male hero experience. And here we get to see her experience mm. and several others. Okay. I don't think this film could have been released sooner than what it was planned to be released. I think it works perfectly where it was situated. And I think it adds a lot to the universe. She didn't get much of a send-off that she deserved. And this is a way to fix that, I feel. What do you mean she didn't get a, a, not much of a send-off? In Endgame, she dies a noble, committed death. Mm -hmm. And I don't think she got enough time. Like, we didn't get enough of an honorable, like, send-off for her. But with this full movie where we see her and we see what she's trying to do and what her goals are and... Uh, what she's trying to bring down is is a way of honoring that. I mean, she was our first sup female superhero in this Marvel franchise that we mm. got to see, mm -hmm. and she deserved it. So, uh, and 
beyond saying, oh, she deserves it, give it to her, this was really good. This was a really good film that spoke about a lot of real things as well as contributing to the mechanics of superheroes. Mm, interesting. I'll be interested in hearing more about that thought. Um, anything else that was good about it? Yeah, there were plenty of things that were good about it, but I'll talk about it in spoilers, I guess. Oh, okay. All right. So I will say that over the past several years, when there's all this talk about, oh, well, you these heroes have movies. Why doesn't uh, Black Widow have a movie or whatever? I always thought, like, Hawkeye and Black Widow were great as supporting characters and they didn't really need or maybe could support their own movie especially certain one that would be on the level of everything else and as important the question having seen black widow now that we have black widow movie is not whether or not the character could support her own film because this movie definitely achieves that. It, it jumps over that hurdle with ease, absolute ease. It's really how necessary the movie was to the overall picture. I get that maybe uh, the optics and the representation, uh, you could argue, is necessary. Especially since Captain Marvel, I think, is the only female-fronted solo film in the MCU. Is that right? Yep. Okay. So, I get that. But I think Black Widow is a film that, on its own terms, in its own little island, works really well and is a good film. As part of... The MCU, the the big picture of the phase and everything, it's literally its own little island and doesn't really affect anything. And it can't when that's the that's the challenge of a movie that is set before certain events that have already been established is you can't have it affect what has already been filmed and was you know, thought of and conceived and shot before this movie was even conceived, right? And so it it leaves the movie with this feeling of, well, was it significant? Was it, oh, absolutely, did it actually add a lot to the big picture? And I think those arguments to be made that maybe it doesn't, but we can talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. What I thought was good about the movie is just about everything. I don't think this this is necessarily trying to be a send-off film because it doesn't lay it on thick as this is your last time you're ever going to see uh, Black Widow and all this sort of stuff. And I think that's to its credit. You know, you maybe still feel that. But it doesn't like try to make you feel that with overwhelming music and lingering shots on her at the end or anything like that. You know, try to carry a whole bunch of weight and meaning to the end of the movie. I think that's to its credit. I think 
Uh, the supporting cast is fantastic. There's a lot of praise right now for Florence Pugh. Honestly, I was not necessarily excited about this movie uh, for any reason other than seeing Florence Pugh be introduced and the possibility of what that character might bring in the future because I think you only cast Florence Pugh in this film in the, as this particular character if you're going to make Florence Pugh an essential part of the future of the MCU in some way. And it does that, and she's fantastic. And, you know, I think it would have been interesting if this had been released more closely to to Little Women, because originally this was supposed to release like five or six months after Little Women came out. And 2019 was Florence Pugh's breakout year with Fighting With My Family, Midsommar, and uh, Little Women, and then have this movie start off the next year for her. Uh, having that distance kind of affects things a little bit in the short term in terms of how you perceive, but um, I think it would have been really impactful had that original release occurred for her and her career because, boy, she was skyrocketing upwards at that point and it just kind of creates a little bit of delay but she's fantastic david harbour plays red guardian red guardian thank you he's great in it he's fun he's absolutely fun um how they spin this characters it's interesting because this is just the beginning of the movie but the movie starts with something that i haven't even seen you have and I didn't even need it explained to me because this show is so well known for what it is, and that is The Americans. This movie starts by um, doing The Americans in its opening yeah. sequence. God, I love that show. I and love that, so, that show so fucking much. And I was listening to the Slash uh, Filmcast, the Filmcast now, uh, with Jeff Kanata. He made a point that this movie... It, like because of the Americans, this movie is able to completely shorthand all of that. It doesn't have to. It explain doesn't have to establish anything. Anything. Instead right. of it taking fifteen or twenty-five minutes to do, it can take five. Right, and it's it's such a great opening, right? Because it's so well developed, you don't know and you don't know necessarily going into it blind what's going to happen, what direction each moment is going to take, and it just slowly develops. And, you know, you don't know who they're running from until you see... Or what they're running to. Right. You don't know. Yeah. Because they don't take a second to establish what they're fighting for. Right. They're fighting for something, but they don't say what it is. Exactly. And that is expertly uh, crafted. Love that. There's an overall metaphor Mm -hmm. here with the Widows that I'm a little surprised the movie takes. Because the widow program is supposedly just women who are trained to be assassins, killers, spies, what have you, expert, right? And I, I've always kind of taken that at face value, right? Especially since like KGB was supposed to be a part of it in Black Widow's history. But 
they completely divorce it of the KGB as its own thing in this film, right? Because we're not in the Cold War, essentially. Well, and it's a world organization, too. It's not just devote to one country. Right. It stems from one, but... That's a good point. That's a very good point. But more importantly, it makes this overall metaphor of human trafficking, which I... Female. Female human trafficking. Right. Which... I was very impressed by. I thought that actually added a whole other layer that I did not expect in this film. Some people go into this expecting it to be a Black Widow origin story. I'm really glad it's not that. It is not that. It deals with her past, but it is not her origin story, thankfully. It does something far more interesting, and that metaphor is a big part of it. I think this film is so much more than Black Widow. That's what it's called, but it's not just about her. As Mm. you say, it's about her family, her chosen family, her somewhat chosen family, and then all these women who form this tapestry of Black Widows. Mm. It's a wonderful way to approach a female superhero film. Often, it's not just about one woman. It's about so much more than that. Because we're spaghetti. (laughs) We're all connected. Mm -hmm. And they did it beautifully. I think this is one of those... What I love about this film is its family element. It's This is the most fucked up family we've seen Disney portray in a very long time. Mm. Especially in a Marvel sense. Mm. You know, with Marvel, it's been chosen family. But here, it's like this is somewhat a family unit... And here's how destructive they've been to each other, but how they want each other. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's beautiful because that's kind of what happens when you have your your blood family, right? You mm-hmm. have your chosen family wherever you are, but you also have your blood family. And there's always this ping pong of like, you know, this meant something to me. You're showing me it means nothing to you. And it's just all this back and forth that happens as you grow up and we get to see them young and then as adults. Mm -hmm. So we get to see two different dynamics happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And, and also I will just, before we move on to what, what didn't work for us about the movie, the humor was really great. Oh, hilarious. And I really appreciated some of the action sequences. I don't think there's anything that I would stand out as, say stand out as among the the greatest in the entire franchise but there are some intense moments especially with this character called the taskmaster which we'll talk about later someone who is a c-level villain that we really only know about from a couple games we play and the action figures at target right now (laughs) which which are pretty magnificent oh and at the disney store but kind of want that (laughs) This character is definitely set up as someone who is extremely formidable and you do not want crossing your path for any reason because you mean that that may be the last moments of your life. And so I really felt that. Uh, Did you have any other comments about any of those things or other aspects of the movie before we move on to what didn't work for us? No, I, I think I'm pretty happy with the movie. I laughed a lot. I cried a lot. <laughs> it's like there were a lot of emotions. Okay, so what was the bad? What were the flaws? What didn't work about the uh, movie for you? That's an excellent question. Why don't you start it off? 
Okay, so some of it I can't talk to talk about yet because it's third act stuff. But really, I think the biggest question for the movie is every single movie that we have seen in the MCU. Don't glare at me. Don't shoot me daggers. <laughs> every movie that we've seen in the MCU has been a progression of events working towards other events. And the challenge of squeezing in a movie that takes place in between events is making it feel organic and part of that forward momentum. And I don't think it necessarily does. I, I really feel like it sticks out as its own thing. That's Yes, it's introducing characters that we may see in the future, but they're not necessarily characters that are like, oh, this is clearly an important part of the overall plot. It's more like characters that will be somehow put into the overall plot, if that makes sense. Just though it's kind of reverse the intentions a little bit. I think this is new territory. We're finished with the first set of phases that's mm. in a nice little it it it's seemingly in a nice neat little package with a bow yeah and now we've got new elements being added we've got some tv shows we've got some movies we've got and it's it's almost somewhat a clean slate yes. with existing people and so it's going to feel different and if they're smart it's going to play out differently than what the first pattern was it's hmm. they're gonna change it up if they're smart otherwise we're gonna know what's gonna happen you think and so? that would be predictable and boring that was what was so exciting about the first set of phases is we could make predictions but we weren't always right this is like a baby movie this is like the first movie mm -hmm. and it's it's too soon to judge i don't know i See, the thing is, even with what we've already been getting with this phase outside of this movie, everything has a forward momentum, and especially with Loki, right? Everything's moving towards setting up what's down the road. We know vaguely what's down the road, but we don't know at all um, any of the specifics, much less than we did with the Infinity Saga. We knew that ultimately everyone's going to lead up to stopping Thanos Oh, from getting the Infinity Gauntlet and and doing what he does with the Infinity Gauntlet. There's a couple surprises that happen at that point in the, the story, but we knew it was eventually getting to something like that point. But we right already now, know where it's going. Right now, we don't know. Yes, we do. Do we? Yeah, according to the Loki Lost episodes, things are going to happen and someone's going to need to be stopped again. Yeah, but we don't know... <sighs> We don't know what shape that's going to take in any way in the same way like you don't know at all what that particular person is going to do or what their ultimate plan is. Okay, 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 <laughs> okay, Pesci's here. All right, just calm down. All right. I Look, maybe I need to watch Iron Man again, but how much did we freaking know about Iron Man once it happened? Okay, like I, I, Nick Fury okay. came at the end, right? Or was it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And we had someone come at the end of this one, you know? Yeah. Okay. So I think it checks the boxes. We move on. All right. 
That's. A, I see your point. Yeah. I see no, your point. It's been made. All right. What, the stiletto has been stepped down. Okay. I started down. I started with <laughs> what. Uh, I started with what I thought didn't work about the movie mm. or any issues it had. Mm. Your your turn. No, I think it's fun. So <laughs> I feel like my dad. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect the way it is. So you actually you think this movie's flawless? <laughs> Look, here's how I see it. I am aware that this is a tapestry of films and TV shows mm -hmm. and it is only going to show if it is perfect enough or flawless enough once it starts weaving in with everything else. I think it is a fine establishment of the next set of phase characters. Okay. That's what I think it is. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit more with spoilers mm. of, of a few things before we finish up. If you haven't seen Black Widow, is it safe to say that we recommend that the good outweighs the bad? Yeah, go check it out at the cinema so you can see the big action shininess. And what do you score it out of 10? Probably an 8. Okay. I was about to say, I was expecting you to say 9 with how flawless movie. I was movie. going to. Uh -huh. But I knew you would look at me no, no, in a particular I, way. Not, what, what way The score that? may change once the tapestry has begun weaving. <laughs> oh, good Lord. <laughs> okay. I give the film a 7 out of 10. I don't think it's necessarily top-shelf Marvel, but it is definitely uh, really good and and just above the mid-level tier, probably. So if you haven't seen the movie, skip ahead to the film fave segment, looking at the timestamp in the show notes. If you have seen it, follow along with us, because here we go. We're going to talk spoilers for Black Widow starting now. Okay, I really loved a lot of things about this film, but one of my favorite freaking moments was when the two daughters pick up their dad and he has no clue what their bodies have gone through. Sure, he's gone through some body stuff and something that men bodies go through is like, oh, I've got muscles now and I've got super strength and I can lift a cot and throw it in the air. Okay, well, they don't talk about women's bodies, what they undergo very often. And so I absolutely love when she talks about what happens when you become a woman, everything gets taken out. And she starts talking about it and she's very matter of fact about it. And her facial expressions and her, her performance during that is so brilliant if you watch it closely because you can see the fire behind the eyes, but you can also see how controlled the aim of the fire gun is happening. And it's just brilliant how she talks about you know, the uterus being taken out and the ovaries being taken out. And, you know, he's like, no, no, stop. And she's like, there's still the fallopian tubes too. <laughs> and I just love how it gets broken down and how it talks about the sterilization of woman. Because what can change a woman to go from bad guy to good guy? Mm -hmm. Birthing a child. Okay, and it's the one thing that would get in the way of this organization and they just take away every, absolutely every single choice, including one that should never be taken away. And it's also this sort of parallel running with, you know, rights to safe abortion and also trying to end 
sterilization of young girls, especially in the African continent. And there's, there's so many issues linked to the female reproductive system that, be, that, that begin to be controlled from the age of 10 around the world. These are real issues that are happening and they throw it into a, a superhero film. They take a female issue, throw it into a superhero film, which is what I've wanted for so long because I feel like when we see something from a you know fantastical perspective we start to think a little more critically about things you know you didn't see the parallel with human trafficking until I pointed it out to you Mm -hmm. and it's it's just brilliant how much realism they were able to put into this film and it it just really makes me feel pumped about it and the way it was delivered by the different uh, actors and actresses was just fantastic so just for a point of clarity you are talking about a scene that takes place between the red guardian david harbour and yelena played by florence uh Pugh, and scarlet's uh there as well and it's florence Pugh who is making this point yes Mm -hmm. yeah she's like you clearly have no clue and you thought that everything you said everything was going to be fine but now i have i have nothing mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and just to be clear if if you don't have any of those organs you're not going to have menstruation either so it really is a severing of womanhood i don't know if you remember but this is something that was discussed suggested Movies uh, ago. referenced in I believe it was Captain America Civil War when Bruce Banner and Natasha Romanoff have scenes alone together and they talk about how like their similarities and how they could run off and escape mm. together I think that was during Civil War when that happened if I remember correctly it was Age of Ultron okay we, we have someone fact-checking us. Okay. It's, our, it's our son here. It's okay. fantastic. <laughs> I thought it was when they were on the run in Civil War, but I guess I'm wrong about that. But anyway, it's, it's definitely set up that far back, six years ago. Of course, here we're talking about that program, and so it gets to be re, uh, readdressed. And I, I agree with you uh, there. That's that's really excellent. Is there anything else spoiler-related that you want to talk about? I love the family table scene. You know, we start the movie with them all sitting at the family table, and then it's disrupted because they have to go. And mm. then later they come to find, oh, what is her name? The mom. Oh, Rachel Weiss's Yeah, character. so they, they come to yeah. Rachel Weiss's farm, and they see that she's caring for pigs because... That's well, where she's the, seemingly caring for pigs. and Yeah, that's where the table scene comes from. Yeah, and so Yelena sees a family table. And just her facial, just wonderful acting. You see she wants to get that moment back and almost rewrite it, essentially. And then just the, you know, the husband and wife <laughs> sort of playing off of each other is hilarious, too. Yeah, that was a really good scene. Uh, a lot of people forget. That's also the scene where Rachel Weiss's character uh, demonstrates her experiments uh, via a pig and and causes a pig to stop breathing for at least a minute. And uh, it's I must very have out with that scene. It's very chilling, actually. It's very chilling, and it leads to questions about that particular character and whether or not she actually should have survived the movie because of how 
consciously responsible she was for so much of what happened in that program. Even if it came down to a matter of self-sacrifice, I think there's a valid argument that, you know, maybe she shouldn't have been able to like, oh, cool, I got away with that with no consequences. Well, I think what this movie also illustrates is like you could be in a situation that is so beyond your control and you think that you're doing good and you get wrapped in it and it goes on and it goes on for years until you have an opportunity presents itself to take you to give you a way out of that path, hmm. which happens basically for all four of these characters. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely sure that I fully agree that she should have been spared and she's going to contribute a lot in the future because she was spared. Because let's let's point out at the very end, the entire plot essentially flies away. In a spaceship, you have all the, these widows, and you have the Red Guardian, and you have Yelena, and you have Rachel Weiss, all in one sh- in one aircraft that fly away, and we don't see them again for a while. They're on right? a mission. What, what, They're on a mission, mission to go and save all the other women who are being controlled. Yeah, I'm just saying, I'm pointing out, it's very convenient that there's all these people, and all, of, basically every major person in the entire plot except a guy gets to fly off in the end pardon me but something they've established through many movies that feature black widow all the the features of black widow through all these films have established that there is a ledger of blood and it's been established through natasha romanov that she doesn't necessarily want a bloody ledger she wants to cross it all out yeah and i'm pretty sure all those widows want to do the same thing there might be one or two that will be like, no. You're missing my point, no. though. You're missing okay, my what's point. what's your point? I'm tr- I'm... Mansplainer. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. You went there, huh? All right. I'm saying that it's very convenient that everybody gets to just fly away. And everybody gets to survive except for one guy. You don't see that as convenient at all? Other Marvel movies have done worse. I'm not bothered by it. No. You know, there's, there's, there's valid criticism for it. Did the it. film take liberty in anything else? Was this their one? I'm not even saying it's taking liberty. I'm saying it's very convenient and it's a neat, neat little package that I'm not sure that is all that satisfying, especially for none of the none of that family to have to make any sacrifices or to perish as a result of these events you just always like in a past life <laughs> you were part of one of those 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 communities that was like a sacrifice must be made to appeal to the gods that's who <laughs> you were and you were the one that would decide that's that's what this is All like right. <laughs> we are just introducing these people god like there is lots of time there's lots of time for human sacrifice, okay? All right. Wow. All right. Uh, maybe, maybe. Maybe? Maybe. Or well, maybe people they'll like be... you around, I'm <laughs> sure they'll make a plan. Or maybe we'll just never see them again or some of them again. Um, as they won't contribute Well, that's anything. really negative. <laughs> I don't like that. My, let me talk to another issue I had that I couldn't speak to without being in spoilers. That is Taskmaster. I like the idea of Taskmaster being a 
its own volition, a badass who is incredibly threatening and an expert assassin and just a, a bad person who does, who has their own control of what they want to do, who is driven by certain motivations. We get revealed not only in the end that Taskmaster is actually the daughter of the bad guy who honestly I can't remember his name. He's played by Ray Winstone. Who supposedly this daughter was blown up along with Ray Winstone when Natasha uh, tried approving a hit on him via shield way back when. And this is something that is part of the red on her ledger. She's always had uh, guilt over. Not one of the only things. Or if you actually listen to the dialogue in the Avengers in 2012 from Loki, she has other things. But this is one of them. Turns out that Taskmaster is actually this woman. Not only that, but it turns out the Taskmaster is under the control, uh, the mind control of her father. And I really kind of was disappointed by that because I like the idea of her just being his daughter and and growing up to be this extremely dangerous person that you cannot reason with. I find that that is a more menacing, more interesting, and a more satisfying direction than, oh yes, and by the way, she was also controlled. We're going to have an episode <laughs> dedicated to your itinerary <laughs> for villains. Goodness gracious. And I, you know what? I, I can't even, no, I can't even get on the same page as you here because that is not the character we're creating as far as the bad guy goes. The bad guy is about someone who takes advantage of women and little girls, even if it's his own goddamn daughter. And yeah. who knows, maybe this is what his plan was for her later anyway. That is what this is about. No, you don't get to have a woman-hating life in this movie. You get to see how destructive and controlling a man can be towards women, even their own result of their own sperm okay like that is what you get in this film does it have to be yeah why because it's showing the different scale levels of isn't how it, controlling it can be isn't it bad enough that he abducts random girls and and does what he does to them and controls them why why does taskmaster also have to be the same because she's not exempt just because she's his blood she is not exempt from his reign of terror why can't she be on board with it why can't she go along with it be um see his way of thinking would a woman really see a toxic male like that his way of thinking We've seen female villains in the past. Why can't she just be a female villain? Oh, we've seen female villains in the past. Good. Let's move on to anti-heroes now. I really recommend this film. There's a lot of stuff to unpack here. I think it's a very satisfying film. And I think it will weave nicely in. And in time, it'll show itself. So. <laughs> yeah, so it's time to move on to film faves. Our respective list of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. 
Typically, we do this because we want to give you a sense of our taste in movies, but also hopefully expose you to movies you've never heard of before. So this time, we're making a list about Scarlett Johansson movies. We weren't exactly sure which route to go with this, but we decided to go for the broad Scarlett Johansson. This could mean films that she's the star of, or it could mean supporting roles. I know that for me, I didn't really limit my list. I tried to have a little bit of everything in there. It was very difficult to pick only two Marvel movies as opposed to all of them that have her in them because she's fantastic. And she's really one of those actresses that has a lot of range. And sometimes I have a ping pong relationship with her. There's sometimes where she'll take a role and I'll be like, what are you doing? And then the same year, it'll be something amazing. And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) And so it's definitely one of those relationships, viewer relationships where I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Oh, what the fuck is that? And oh, this is amazing. Keep going. Why are you making that choice? So it's, she has a very interesting career and she's very talented in not only her presence, but also her voice work. So how did you go about making your list, Jeff? Look, here's the thing. So when we talked about our favorite actresses and actors, I think it was at the end of 2020, if I remember correctly, Mm. I named Scarlett Johansson as my favorite actress of all time, uh, beating out Elizabeth Taylor, who was number two. And so when I was crafting this list, you know, first of all, there's eight movies that I had mentioned in my article and, and you know, that are favorites of mine. And those mo- eight movies are in this list. I added four more. I, I definitely wanted to limit uh, the Marvel movies because she's been in like five or six Marvel movies, I think something like that. And I didn't want to make half the list, a Marvel movie list. I did limit it to like three or four. I think four actually that are my favorites and really looking at the rest of her career she had 47 movies in total to take into consideration since the i think mid 90s and really look at like okay one of my favorites of all of those you know she's really great performances she's done a lot of period work and all this sort of stuff what are my absolute favorites and there's a couple that i didn't remember very well and maybe i could have used a crash course kind of refresh on some of them yeah we totally watched the prestige in preparation for this film at right. like 6 30 in the morning right. this morning right to try before, and fit it in yeah right before recording here we squeezed that in and we'll see if that ended up making either of our lists as a result but for me i really tried not including a lot of movies where she is a tertiary character or uh, a character that has like less than 20 minutes of screen time. So, you know, that took out definitely a lot of her early work and which in most of which is not that great anyway. And it took out a, a few other things as well. But that's kind of what I was looking at. What are the movies I enjoyed the most of hers and kind of ranked according to, you know, order of, you know, which one would I rather see more or less? So, and, and which ones gave me the best experience, uh, too. So that's kind of how I went about the, uh, the list. Surprisingly, most of her movies are not available to stream. There are some that are on Disney+. Plus. There's one on Netflix. But most of her movies are only available to rent on Amazon. Did you run into that experience with your movies as well? 
Ah, uh, a lot of it's Disney. Mm-hmm. And some I didn't check. So, well, there we go. I know what you're going to be doing while I'm going through my list. So, let's get into it because uh, I, I, this is going to be a very interesting topic, I'm sure, for a lot of people. I'm sure everybody has their own answers as to what their favorite Scarlet movies are. I know there's some that I've seen that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole because she's not perfect. No, no actor and actress has a perfect CV. No, and sh- she's pretty perfect at... <laughs> making good choices and then really bad ones so yeah it's interesting even even in the past decade so let's get into it with your 12th favorite scarlett johansson movie my 12th favorite film is her from 2013 this is a spike jones movie Uh, scarlett johansson is the voice of an operating system this is the most human voice operating system i've ever heard And she just has this brilliant performance and ability to show excitement and the essence of being alive or embracing things that make you feel alive. And she's just an operating system. All the voice work is amazing. And she is starring with Joaquin Phoenix and Amy Adams. So this is a fantastic film. And this is one of those films where she takes up a majority of the film. Even though we don't see her face, we hear her. Excellent. My 12th favorite movie, and, and, and interestingly enough, I, most of my movies are not available to stream on any subscription service. And that was the case for my 12th favorite Scarlett Johansson movie, which is In Good Company by Paul Weitz. I believe this movie originally had a different title before its release. And I'm trying to find it, but I can't uh, find what that was. But I do remember it having a different title. Oh, maybe it was Synergy. Anyway, so this movie stars also Dennis Quaid and Topher Grace. It's about a middle-aged ad exec. He's faced with a new boss who's nearly half his age and who also happens to be sleeping with his daughter. Scarlett Johansson stars as that daughter. I think, if I recall, most of the focus is on Topher Grace and Dennis Quaid, but Scarlett Johansson definitely makes an impression as that supporting character there. And this was a movie that I haven't seen very many times, but always kind of made an impression as a as a pretty good movie, a pretty good movie, a decent one. And it's one I wish I had time to revisit before making this list Definitely not one that gets a lot of attention. So anyway, In Good Company from 2004 is my 12th favorite Scarlett Johansson movie kicking off my list. My number 11 is one of those that I really wish I got to rewatch. It's been a long time since I've watched it. Don John from 2013 Mm. with Joseph Mm Gordon-Levitt. This is a comedy about, well something rather interesting he has a character that really devotes himself to all the good wholesome things and at the end of the day takes a little break and watches a lot of porn yeah he's an addict right yeah and he's got these because of ingesting all of that he's got all these terrible expectations about relationships and women and sex Mm -hmm. yep and so he's got to break away from that scarlett johansson is the girlfriend and she is hilarious and does what she does best inhabiting characters i don't expect her to play 
it's one of those like surprise guys i'm gonna be one of these characters and it's just i whenever she makes surprising decisions on characters she's never played before or what we don't expect it's exciting to see her in that way i think that's when there's the most love for her at least from from me excellent my 11th favorite Scarlett Johansson movie is one of her greatest films, but not a movie that I'm likely to pop on for casual viewing. It's 2014's Under the Skin by, I believe it was Jonathan Glazer who directed it. Scarlett Johansson is someone who is, for whatever reason... Uh, hunting through uh, the streets of a Scotland town and trying to pick up mostly young men for mysterious reasons. This is an excellent film, and this is a very unusual off-the-beaten-track performance and role for Scarlett Johansson. She doesn't do a lot of small indie films, uh, think piece films, especially head scratchers, you know, very highbrow sort of work. She doesn't do a lot of that, right? She does a lot of studio films. And this is her really stretching herself remarkably into a film that is definitely a conversation starter. You can have a lot of conversation about female body autonomy and how females' bodies can be used as weapons in some ways and and, and various things around that, uh, especially given the third act of this film. A great film, one of the best sci-fi films of the last decade, Under the Skin uh, from 2014, is my 11th favorite Scarlett Johansson film. My number 10 is one that we got to do recently, as in this morning the prestige (laughs) from 2006 although not a heavy feature on her acting skills and her presence on the the film uh her supporting role is definitely one that makes me happy to see her this movie combines a rivalry between two magicians jabbing each other constantly sprinkle in some nikola tesla and the fact that it's created by christopher nolan we have something pretty magical This is one of those films where it's like, okay, if I only get a a pinch of Scarlett Johansson, I'm still happy to see Scarlett Johansson. Mm, Yeah, I'm surprised to see that one on your list because she—it's a great cast, right? It's 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 Hugh Jackman and uh, and Christian Bale and Michael Caine and David Bowie, and she's Andy Serkis is in it too. Yes, Andy Serkis, Rebecca Hall, but and Scarlett Johansson always is on the posters, but she's like. Uh, she has less screen time than Michael Caine yeah. in the movie, right? Yeah. Um, I think as much screen time, maybe. Maybe a little more than David Bowie. And so, uh, really good movie. So glad that we revisited it. But a surprise on your list. My 10th favorite is another film I kind of wish I refreshed my memory on. It's a movie I like to rewatch like once every few years. It's from 2008. It's Vicky Cristina Barcelona by Woody Allen. It is one of, I think, maybe even the first of a series of films that Scarlett starred in for Woody Allen. Um, actually, it's not the first, because the first was Match Point, maybe, from 2005. One of his most highly regarded films. Not one of my favorites. 
but I prefer Vicky Cristina Barcelona, which is much more of a comedy. It's about two friends who are hanging out in Spain, and they get accosted by Javier Bardem, and one is more into it, and one is more cautious, and he, he invites them to go to this island or whatever he lives on and spend some time with them. And Penelope Cruz ends up being there and she's Javier Bardem's ex-wife or ex-girlfriend. And it is a great film, a lovely film. Scarlett Johansson is, is fantastic in it. I've always really been taken of all the latter day Woody Allen films. This is probably my favorite. I'm not a huge fan of most of his annual films in the latter day it's worth checking out it's vicky christina barcelona from 2008 it's my 10th favorite scarlett johansson movie my number nine is chef from 2014 this is a fun marvel kind of duo of people at trio because it's john favreau robert downey jr and then scarlett johansson Mm -hmm. so again we're not really seeing a lot of scarlett johansson in here but what we are seeing that supporting role you know I'm like super happy to see her. And I do wish that I got to watch this again. Doesn't she play like a character that's that encourages him? To She's make... supportive. And yeah. that's, you know, if we're, we've had, we've lived entrepreneur life. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like fourth generation entrepreneur. So anytime I'm seeing a character in a movie supporting the character that needs, not wants to, but needs to break away and do their own thing. I'm always very excited about that. John Favreau's character, he quits his terrible restaurant job to join the entrepreneur life and live a life that makes him happy while in turn trying to make a reconnection with his uh, family. Scarlett is the supportive friend here, uh, maybe girlfriend, I can't quite recall. It's been a while. Hey. And it's it's just lovely because you get to see a little food porn too. Who doesn't want to see that? Oh, a little food porn? Well, it you know, it's not tempopo. It's a lot Extreme. Though. It's a lot. I, it really does make me want to go get some carbonara pasta right now. <laughs> I am adding to our list of film faves, topic ideas, entrepreneur movies. Ooh. And I think because that's a really good candidate you reminded me that of. That would be so good. That movie came out after Iron Man 2. That was seen creatively as, or, as Jean Favreau's commentary on doing a Marvel movie. Oh. If you watch it carefully, because I think he directed and stars in it. And if you watch it carefully, you could definitely read that into that movie. Oh, shoot. I need to go watch that again now then. Yeah, it's been a while. That's a good pick. My ninth favorite is from 2019. One of two films from 2019 that Scarlett starred in is Jojo Rabbit by Taika Waititi. A lot of people are familiar with this movie. Of course, it was about, about the young boy who is part of Hitler's youth who has, of course, as his imaginary friend, one Adolf Hitler, played by Taika Waititi. Scarlett Johansson. Go ahead. Do you have a response to that? I do. Like, this is why we have to be so careful with who we elect into leadership roles, okay? Because you never know what kind of impact it's going to have on the youth. True enough. Scarlett Johansson plays the boy's mom. Plays it magnificently. She is raising the boy alone. There is a fantastic scene with her that is addressing what if dad were here where she does some great acting that is that walks this fine line of uh being too serious but also being too whimsical it's a great line that she walks in it 
there's a lot of great scenes actually with her as a mom in this film and uh, she has one of the biggest impacts in that film so i love her in jojo rabbit it is my ninth favorite film of scarlet's my number eight is lucy from 2014 so we're back to it being about her And this is, you know, you either like this movie or you don't like this movie. There isn't really an in-between. This is just, it's one of those bizarre films. Mm. It's bizarre. There's there's certain elements that could have been done a wee bit better, but... A wee bit. Yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I enjoy watching. Here's what I love. I love watching her transform from, oh, no, what's happening to me? Oh, I'm such a victim of this situation to, no, you all fucking sit down and shut up kind of you know transformation and uh i i love watching her in strong smart roles and uh she's a little you know if you compare it to something like under the skin under the skin you know it's kind of also a transformation right where it's more subtle and within herself and very you know carefully acted and in this one it's kind of just like flimsy and all over the place but i kind of like it her line delivery is always great too the best way i can describe this film because i should probably share what it's about (laughs) is scarlett johansson is helping her sleazy boyfriend deliver a package to some very dangerous men Mm -hmm. and it doesn't go well (laughs) and then you know stuff happens after that action-packed awesomeness happens after that she experiences a transformation of sorts we are that is a movie that we are on opposite sides of the mic on for for sure i i i I did foresee it being on on your list though because you do quite enjoy that film well and there's a rumor that there's a lucy 2 coming oh good. i know that'll make you upset but for (laughs) me i'm like i would rather see her doing lucy than ghost in the shell well, okay, yes, fair enough. But you can go ahead and, and enjoy that one when that one comes out. Again, that is Lucy from 2014. My set, eighth favorite, eighth favorite Scarlett Johansson movie is one of my earliest favorites of hers. And one, maybe the one that first made me take notice of her. Is it Ghost World? It is. 2001. Oh, I got it. Ghost World. Adapted from the graphic novel, the indie graphic novel, I believe by Daniel Klaus, if I remember correctly. This also stars uh, Thora Birch and Steve Buscemi, among a handful of other people. I always enjoyed the quirkiness of this indie comedy. It is very quirky. It is very amusing. But as I got older... What I really appreciate at, at first, like when I first saw the film, I was totally on Thora Birch's side. Thora Birch and, and Scarlett Johansson play high school friends who just graduated. That's a really great actress combo, especially of that time. Yes. So they just graduated and it's about kind of like in a way it's about what what do they do next? Do they move in together, get an apartment together? They're best friends. They love hanging out with each other. 
But it's interesting because the film mostly follows Thora Birch, but I kind of realized that Thora Birch, as I get older, is stuck in Arrested Development. And Scarlett Johansson's character, she's the one who's trying to mature and grow up and take and, you know, she wants to live on her own. She wants to get a job so she can afford living on her own. And Thora Birch's character is kind of like stuck one and just do whatever and make fun of people and just, you know, fart around all the time. And I really appreciate that dynamic and Scarlett Johansson's very early performance. I think she's like 18 or something like that at this time. And she's fantastic in it. So uh, Ghost World, 2001, my eighth favorite Scarlett film. You know what would make a good double feature then is Booksmart and then Ghost World. Or Booksmart, Mm. Ghost World, Barbon. Star go to Vista Del Mar. Good lord, that's, that's like fun. a triple feature. That should be a list. That's funny. That's funny. It'd <laughs> be a fun one. All right, what's your seventh favorite Scarlet film? My seventh is Nanny Diaries from two thousand and seven. This is not a fantastic film, but it's fun. I also love seeing her and Chris Evans together. He has another Avengers assemble get together before Avengers assembled. She's a graduate and she is trying to figure out how to make her next move. Hmm. And she gets caught doing a good deed, saving a kid from running into New York traffic, I believe. It was something crazy. And she gets hired on the spot by this mother who needs to have a nanny. And it's a very wealthy family. It's one of those, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I don't, I'm a nanny and I don't hear about families like this. Mm. Uh, and I'm on a group that's fairly open about all the families people have. So it's one of those rare family nanny situations, but they're a terrible family. And so we see what it's like for her to be a live in nanny dealing with all this drama and schedule changes and lack of control of her own life. So it's kind of the bad end of the spectrum of being a nanny. Mm. But it's interesting to see her grow and learn to take the faith to take the next leap into the direction that she wants to move with her life, as opposed to just staying comfy and kind of stagnant with what she does have. And it also kind of shows how, like, even though the family could be shitty, it's sometimes you still really love the kid. Mm, it's like mm-hmm. the exception. I remember when that was coming out, that, that was a great deal of anticipation for that movie, actually, because of fans of the best-selling book. My seventh favorite Scarlett Johansson movie is the first to actually be available on a streaming platform. Of course, all others are available to rent on Amazon for the most part. And we're getting into the MCU here with Avengers Infinity War from 2018 available on Disney+. Oh, you picked Infinity War. I, I did. Out of the five or six uh, or so <laughs> that she's been in. I this is the first one I chose. One of the things I remember about her is not only we, we encounter her with Captain America first in the movie and they help um, Scarlet Witch and uh, Vision as they interact with one of Thor Thanos's minions. 
But there was a moment in the third act that I recall that was one of the first things that stands out to me is when there all chaos is going off in in Wakanda, if I remember correctly, in the fields of Wakanda. There is one particular woman who is up against Proxima Midnight, and Proxima Midnight says, you know, something about her being alone. And you hear a voice saying, "Oh, she's not alone." And if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, that voice was uh, was Black Widow's, right? Yeah. And she turns and you see Black Widow, and there's this really awesome fight in between. And then, oh, something happens that disgusts Black Widow. <laughs> it was kind of funny. <laughs> Right. That is a great scene. Yeah. That's one of the first things that comes to my mind. And I know Black Widow is uh, heavy throughout this uh, film. She's got a great presence, especially in the second half of the Infinity Saga. Uh, But this is one of the first ones. And I absolutely adore this film. Overall, it's a thrilling film. It has one of the greatest endings of all in the MCU. So it has a place as my seventh favorite Scarlett Johansson movie. This totally fits your criteria. There, that ending. Okay. Uh, my number six is Avengers Endgame. Oh, wow. That so, low. That's, uh, that's surprising. That's so low for me. Although it was your only your 11th favorite movie from 2019. Yeah. So I, I love her Marvel movies. You know, she just has a couple seconds, couple minutes in a film. I, I don't care. I think that's really been established, but especially with Marvel films. But this is the one where her performance makes me cry. It's it's the yeah. scene where she like she bites into a sandwich and Chris Evans is nearby and she just feels like she is she feels defeated, she feels like she's not doing enough. She's showing up, she's doing all the things she possibly can control and it's it's just so defeating for her. Mm. And that moment there when she bites into the pathetic <laughs> sandwich is so relatable for so many in so many different ways and elements of human life so she really takes that superhero and makes it really human Mm -hmm. which i love Mm -hmm. i think that in this film in particular she brings this great performance of commitment healing and setting things right and you know you can tell that she's giving it her all mm-hmm. and i just i really love it 100 percent, absolutely my sixth favorite scarlett johansson film is one of the what's the word not hallmark but it is a benchmark in her career and for some it is her best it is 2003's lost in translation by sofia coppola you know, I find that rather low on your list. <laughs> I was literally about to speak to that. Actually, this speaks to what she has done since that. This film that is one of her best films, hands down, has fallen to the middle of my favorites list. I, I do love this film. I think it's my easily my favorite Sofia Coppola film, and. This is the movie I feel like she had been working towards previously as an actress, where she she really shows she is an actress, she can act, and she could be taken seriously as an actress. Some may be able to point to The Man Who Wasn't There, the Coen Brothers movie that came out in 2001, but I, I would say this is where it's at, and, and just... 
everything forward from here, yeah, she did some action movies afterwards too, but uh, she was absolutely a critical darling and really, really grew as an actress from here on. And this is the first part. This is, of course, that movie with Bill Murray where both are respectively in Tokyo and kind of having a sense of loneliness with where they are in their life and and their relationships with others. And they kind of end up coming together and enjoying each other during their time in Tokyo. Beautiful film. Wonderful. Great film. One of the best films of that decade. Lost in Translation from 2003 is my sixth favorite Scarlet film. Okay, Shannon, we're past the halfway mark. What is your fifth favorite Scarlet film? My number five is Jungle Book from 2016. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to be like, well, why is it higher than Avengers Endgame? Well, it's like I'm doing what I can because <laughs> I've had a tooth extraction and I'm working some stuff out of my, some drugs out of my body. But <laughs> I, so this is a drug-induced pick this is, is what you're saying. Pick. <laughs> <laughs> with, with like a character that's got like hypnosis abilities, right. hypnotherapy abilities. She plays the voice of Ka, mm. who is... The Python Python who tries to hypnotize and use a very interesting voice to get what he needs (laughs) or she needs needs to get what she needs. And so the way that Scarlett Johansson performs this voice is amazing. It is so villainous and so like voice like silk. Mm. It's it's like I'll do anything for you with that voice. (laughs) You know, mm. it's just, it's so beautiful. I love it. Jungle Book, you know, this is one of those live action, from animation to live action makes that kind of did well. It was nice to see it as a spectacle. Mm. It's I have a hard relationship with those, but this one was with okay. the live action remakes of yeah. yeah, yeah. But I loved hearing Scarlett Johansson's performance in it. That was my favorite part of the whole thing. Uh, perfectly cast. One of the few that I actually like of of that Disney trend of late. And but, like hearing her voice work in her, in the Jungle Book, it mm-hmm. just makes me want, I want her to be nominated. I want there to be a category for voice work because mm. without that, look, animated stuff or CG stuff, yes, mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes into it. But without the voice, you're missing a, like 50% of what that character is. Mm. And they deserve to be nominated if they're doing a fantastic job. Perfect. My fifth favorite Scarlett Johansson movie is going back to the MCU again, available on Disney Plus again, Captain America Civil War from 2016. I was torn between Winter Soldier and this movie because I feel like Scarlet has similar roles in the sense that she teams up with Captain America eventually. In this case, she defects from the Registration Act or the Sokovian Accords, as they are in the MCU, to Captain America's way of seeing things. Um, But the reason why I went with this film is because... My God, this movie brings me so much joy and is so fun. And the spectacle of it is extraordinary. And there's all these other elements. A great villain, one of the best in the MCU. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mostly what I remember about Scarlet's role, Black Widow's role in it, is kind of being torn between the 
official authority and what is right. And she chooses what is right and defects to uh, Captain's side of things. And, uh, you know, she's awesome throughout the rest of the movie. So that's Captain America Civil War from 2016 on Disney Plus as my fifth favorite Scarlett Johansson movie. My number four is available for streaming. Uh, actually, it's not. Oh, it's not? It will be available for streaming in the future Oh, on Disney+. Plus. It's Black Widow. Oh, well, it's got the premiere access yeah. on Disney+. Plus so, right now. Yeah. available, but at a price. Yes. So, I, I loved Black Widow. I really enjoyed watching her in that. I enjoyed her interacting with everyone. I enjoyed this a, a, a culmination. Mm-hmm. This, like final here's all about her for a change and i just really love that movie and that's why it's number four excellent i'm going to jump off of the mcu uh, for uh, one of your favorites that you mentioned before uh, for my fourth favorite is 2013's her which has got to have one of the most amazing vocal performances i have ever heard voice work performances i've ever heard in a film because that is all we get of scarlet in this and my god she is amazing as a voiceover artist because she manages to bring this character to life in a way that makes her feel like she's right there that just she's it's almost like she's physically there so often it is fantastic and just in in helps make a film as perfect as it is as her is and so i absolutely love her work in that film i love that film her one of the greatest films of the last decade from 2013 my fourth favorite scarlett johansson movie all right shanna we're in the top three here your three favorite Scarlett Johansson movies. What is your number three? I'm pretty happy with my top three. I think they're pretty great. Number three is Marriage Story. That's from 20- my third okay. favorite too. <laughs> from 2019. Available on Netflix. Well, you're very good at describing what a movie's about. So why don't you describe what it's about? Okay. And then you can say what you love about it. And then I'll say what I love about it. The movie's about a divorce. It's 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 called Marriage Story, but it's about a divorce uh, between Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, directed by Noah Baumbach, and it's about the struggles of that divorce, the tension of the relationship, what led to that in the first place, you, and hearing both perspectives essentially. It really is this the most beautiful look you could have on a divorce. It's not pretty. But somehow being there on each side makes it something that I don't mind watching over and over again because you pick up on so many different things that are happening in that film as you grow older, as you get more experiences in life. And it's hard to understand why why I have always battled with why people get together and then break up. It's a natural thing. Mm. It happens. You don't have control over it most of the time. And this is just one of those films that really kind of helps me understand what can happen between two people in a relationship. Everyone's always trying to do their best, but things happen. Mm -hmm. And 
sometimes separations are nice and amicable and they do okay after separating but most of the time they're not and this kind of shows you why that's so hard to do Mm. and it's also like this pro if you need to be separated you two should be separated Mm. yeah you know none of this archaic oh stay together for the child kind of thing right it's very However, the child is definitely the reason why the divorce becomes so difficult, right? Because if there wasn't a yeah. child invo- involved, oh, they, they could, could just, just walk away. They could just yeah. go their own separate ways. But because there's a child involved, there's this tension of, okay, well, where do we both live? What happens if one wants to live across the country? How does that affect things? And how does that affect each respective career as well? Yeah. And you say it's, you know, about the kid, but it's also about like her mom too. Her mom loves Adam Driver. She loves him. She's having a hard time letting him go. Hmm. So I think it's, you know, we don't focus a lot on that, but it is an interesting added element of like, how do you separate, especially if your family still loves that other person Mm -hmm. you know which which is lovely Mm -hmm. that that must be a really nice place to be in Mm -hmm. but it's it's difficult for the person who's trying to separate away Mm. yeah julie haggerty plays that mom she's beautiful and i love it yeah the performances are amazing the cinematography is gorgeous everything is so gentle and there are there are quite a few comedic moments in this film yes it's a funny film too yes Absolutely. You know, I'm going to leave it with what you said about the film. I, For more of my thoughts, I think it's the best film of 2019. You can read on the GibsonReview.com in the best and worst of 2019 article why that is. We've also reviewed the film on the podcast. I definitely encourage people to go back and listen to that episode where we review the film. Uh, and I think we also listed it among our favorite movies of 2019. So there's definitely uh, definitely places people can go to hear more of me talk about this film and why it is my third favorite Scarlett Johansson film. But it's certainly uh, her as an actress, just extraordinary, extraordinary, raw and beautiful performance. So let's move on to your second favorite Scarlett Johansson movie. It's Under the Skin from 2013. You've already spoken about it. But I I love this film. I loved seeing her in something so odd. <laughs> you know, something so away from the norm and the mainstream. And it was lovely. I'd like to see her in more stuff like this. I like seeing her in sci-fi. I feel like she works with sci-fi. And I love seeing her in weird stories, you know. I liked how she performed in this film. She was definitely getting across the message to me about women not having control over their bodies uh, due to certain circumstances and constructs. And I really appreciated that. It was a brilliant performance, a lovely story. I don't think I can say much more about it other than I highly recommend seeking it out. Excellent. Now, with my two most favorite Scarlett Johansson movies, we're getting into movies that are included in my 100 favorite movies of all time articles. So uh, these are the only two I think that squeaked in to that top 100. 
So I have to, of course, follow suit. None of which are in my top 12. So they're totally, I can, I can talk about them. Uh, this is the, the number two is Avengers from 2012 available on Disney plus. And what not only is, is that movie absolutely entertaining, not only is that movie an unprecedented achievement and it, it pulls off so many things, it's fantastic. But in terms of Scarlett Johansson, this is, we get her, I think this is her second appearance in the MCU. We, we had her previously in uh, Iron Man 2. I don't know if she showed up another time before Avengers, but we get her here. And this is where everything is set up with the character a little bit more with the debt that she feels she needs to pay back in a way this this ledger she refers to a lot and how she has part of the reason why she's with shield is to right a lot of her wrongs this is stuff that the, your favorite movie black widow kind of helps try to pay off a little bit in terms of what exactly happened in some ways and we also hear from loki specific events that she is that's on her conscience right that that she feels guilt over so this film really kind of moves that character forward in a lot of ways um she also has some great comedic beats in the film and is a total badass and i love her she's fantastic so avengers 2012 is my second favorite scarlett johansson movie on disney plus shanna what is if it's not endgame it's not marriage story what is your absolute favorite Scarlett Johansson movie? It's Jojo Rabbit. Oh, really? This is one of those films that just gets me really emotional, like across the whole spectrum. She does so much in this film. You described it beautifully. I wish I had thought to describe it that way, but I'll do what I can. I think her portraying a mother is one of the best categories that she's in because like I've said with all her voice work and with other movies that I've selected for this list is she has this brilliant way of bringing everything home, making everything human, really making things relatable Mm. with just her presence or her line delivery or the talent that is Scarlett Johansson seeing the kind of mother she is in this film, I can't imagine what it must have been like to be a mom in a time where there was prejudice that led to death Mm. of a people and of anyone that tried to fight against that system. And still she was trying to retain what she knew was right. And it, it must have been so difficult and I don't think anyone else could have could have done this the way she did it and still bring the the comedy because you have to be human and if you don't have the comedy in your life you'll just wither away and die mm. and bringing the emotion and bringing the anger but not letting it override you like that scene that you talk about where her son is missing his dad And they don't know what happened to him because guess what? You're not sure of anything during a war. And she did something to help with that issue. Mm -hmm. Something that I never thought of before, but makes complete and utter sense. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole 
role play with children to help them understand. I mean, what what do we do with kids? We play the same character over and over again, saying the same thing over and over again during normal playtime. And so if you're trying to help a kid heal and move through something that's really upsetting, this is brilliant, mm. just brilliant. And her performance of it is fantastic. And just everything she's doing in this film is amazing. Excellent. So that is, once again, Jojo Rabbit. And I don't think that was available to stream anywhere, but you can definitely rent it on Amazon. My favorite Scarlett Johansson movie is... Well, if it's not her and it's not lost in translation, nope. what is it? 2019's Avengers Endgame. Available... What? It's so high! ...on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> yes, so... I'm really glad that you spoke to the scenes in the first third of the film because anybody who dismisses superhero movies or comic book movies as movies that can't have any sort of human drama in it, any weight to it, really like this, this, that first third really helps disprove that because that scene that you're speaking to, you see just in her face in her acting she doesn't necessarily have to say much you see the guilt that she feels the regrets that she has the weight of everything that's on her shoulders you see it all and is a great great period i'm so glad that the russo brothers took their time with that film to really kind of give a sense of weight on these characters for having lost and then of course in the in the second or the the final third of the film she has a wonderful uh, moving and powerful conclusion for the character so uh, i think it's definitely one of the most significant movies in the mcu for black widow and it is uh, my favorite, of course, you know, the overall experience of that film is, you know, we gushed over for two hours, right, during our review of, of Avengers Endgame. And so I absolutely adore that film. It is one of the only ones that made it into my 100 favorite movies of all time list. And so here it is, my favorite Scarlett Johansson movie. That is our list of my favorite actress of all time. Who are or what are your favorite Scarlett Johansson movies? Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That's going to about do it for this Scarlet Love Fest of this episode of The Movie Lovers. Shannon, before we talk about the next episode, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography. Or you can find me on FlickChart, Spellbinding A. Excellent. Go to thegibsonreview.com for everything over the past 12 years. 10 or 12 years. Actually, it's 11 years of the Gibson Review. That includes reviews. That includes features, film face, my favorite list of or favorite movies of all time, favorite actresses, past movie lovers episodes, as well as the, the Disney Through the Years uh, series of articles. 
you can follow on social media, the Facebook slash the Gibson Review or Instagram, the Gibson 99. I do polls there. I don't think this was finished by the uh, last episode, but we did our favorite, your favorite musicals of all time. And Shannon, do you know what they voted as their favorite, favorite musical of all time? What did they vote on? It was very surprising. 1939's Wizard of Oz, one of the earliest musicals, was their favorite musical of all time. It beat out The Sound of Music, which ended up being their second favorite. So go on there. You'll probably find a list of your favorite um, or a poll of your favorite Scarlett Johansson movies to settle that as well, once and for all. And you can find me also on Flickchart at the Gibson 99. Next time on The Movie Lovers, we got an exciting one. At least Shanna's been really looking forward to this one for a year. It is our review of David Lowry's The Green Knight. And we will be doing it for film faves. Favorite A24 movies. So that'll be an exciting one. Look for that on Tuesday, August 3rd. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye. Fantastic idea. Very good. <laughs> um, you know, you're saying random people and we're in the spoil section. The bad guy says to Natasha, like, oh, or, or the mom says it, like, you had genetic markers. That oh, were appealing boy. to us. She had midichlorians, see? She I had was a high... just about to say that you stepped <laughs> all over my thing. <laughs> now that I know what that is. Oh, you suck, you freaking man interrupter. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you suck. Oh, I can't believe We you... can't even re-record that because you totally wrecked it. I can't believe you're going in the same direction as me. That's hilarious. We're see, on the that's, same that's your problem. You don't believe in your wife. Okay. <laughs> That is your problem. Oh, we're oh yeah, you're getting burned today, my friend. Oh, my goodness. All the burning. Oh, this Match, is rough. Match, gasoline, all of it. Oh, my God. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. God, you suck. You suck. Oh, wow. You just, you can't contain yourself. You can't contain yourself with, like, you're just like all the others. <gasps> like oh but i want to make the star wars reference let me let me she can't do it i seriously didn't think you were going there God. i seriously didn't i was just trying to be a smart this, ass this is what it's y'all know <laughs> with a penis oh mm-hmm. come on you're really going like, for the oh i am wow. my friend wow. okay wow <laughs> oh man anyway, you said it so now we're gonna move on we're gonna survive we're, the episode we're done here. with we're done with this section we're now going to move on to our list. Oh, shit. Is what we're going to do. Stomper. What a shame. Of dreams. Of dreams. And hopes. Oh, my God. Oh. To shine as a geek. It's looking a little thin there. Why don't you lay it thicker? Oh, let me help you. Oh, boy. Oh, man. All right. I mean, we may not survive this episode. Welcome to the final episode of The Movie Lovers. <laughs> Go ahead and save.